Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning, I'm Serena. I'm going to be reading today from Romans 7, 14 to 24. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is God's word. Thanks so much. Grade seven eights, I'm told you're dismissed now for your class. Gonna miss you. Morning. How y'all doing? Happy New Year. We last saw each other, not here, but Christmas Eve, a little rain drip. It was nice. There was hot cocoa and everything. It's great to uh, see you. Everyone have a good holiday? Yeah, a few people. Okay, yeah, one really, really good holiday. All right. Well, hey, uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Mark, and uh, I pastor a church uh, just down the road, a long way down the road, called Connection. And uh, this series that we're doing, we're actually tag-teaming, so it's an eight-part series, and your pastor and I, uh, Pastor Vijay, uh, will be kind of going back and forth between the two churches. So he did part one last week, he's doing part one there this week, I'm doing part two now, so uh, you guys are leading the series this time, which is really exciting. And uh, the series is called Beyond Just Belief. And it's basically a series on theology basics, theology 101, you can call it seminary 101. Both the people teaching it have actually been to seminary. One of us has been on campus, the other one's actually been in class. You can figure out which one has done which. Uh, But it's going to be really, really good, and I'm really, really excited to learn lots of really cool things. So it's going to be great. Uh, Not only that, Vijay asked this amazing question, and it was this last week. He said, what would it be like if my heart really believed, what kind of person would I really be? If my heart really believed, what kind of person would I really be? And the reason why the series is called Beyond Just Belief is because we can say we believe things, but then there's this litmus test, right? When someone comes in and says, okay, I hear that you say you believe that, but when I look at your life and I don't know anything else about you, here's what I see that you actually believe, because our beliefs, what we actually believe, always impacts how we live. And so for those of you here who are like, you know, I've been around the block, I've been a Christian my whole life, I know all these words and phrases, and I've been to more classes than you have, you know, whatever it is, this series is great because not only does it get us back to the bare bones of what we believe as followers of Jesus, but it actually is going to highlight, and if we believe this, you'll see this in your life. 
And for those of you who maybe are kind of on the journey, you're, you know, you're like, I, I'm not sure what I believe. I think there's maybe a higher power out there. I think there's a God. This is like an eight-week introductory course into the Christian faith. And you just get to kind of have everything laid out. And you can kind of say like, oh, that's what it means to believe. And that's what it you know, would look like if people believed. And that's what it looked like if I believed. So it's going to be a great series wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, wherever you're at on your quest. And uh, we're really excited about it. So as we get started, part two today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought to yourself, don't start the story there? You ever felt that way? You know, like your kids get home from vacation and they're, you know, chatting with grandma and grandpa and the grandparents are like, so how is the vacation? And they start telling the story and you're like, no, 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 don't, don't tell them about that part of the vacation. Don't start there. You know, tell them about the two weeks in Disneyland, not those five minutes, you know, where mom and dad had that blow up and everything, you know, got sour. For, like, why do you have to start there, kids? You ever just have that moment you're like, you're starting in the wrong place? You ever have that? Maybe, maybe you're into internet dating, and, you know, you're checking profile pictures, and you're just like, is that actually your profile picture? Like, did you actually think that was a good start? Did you, did you really think that pose was the one that was going to get you some hits? Like, is that actually it? When you start, you know, maybe reading the profiles, and you're like, really? You thought about talking about your past relationship and how you're looking for healing was a good idea on your intro site. You thought talking about Star Trek was a good idea on your profile. You thought putting a picture of cats like, come on, like, I get it. It's true. It's real. It's authentic. It's where you're at. But don't start the story there because that's not the story of you. It's not everything about you. And I don't know about you, but, like, as a pastor, I have this, like, you know, quirky pet peeve of, like, this, this thing that I hear all the time. And I just, every time I hear it, I'm like, no, don't start the story there. And it's this, it's this three-letter word. It's not sex. It's sin. Every time I hear that word and I hear it in the context that just like, it's just like, oh no, I just want to kind of like just jump out and be like, no, 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 and kind of like apologize on that person's behalf. Like, they don't know what they're talking about. Don't let them start the story there because that's not where the story begins. You know, I'm like on a date with my wife downtown, young in Dundas Square, and some guy with a megaphone is yelling about it. And I'm just like, why are you starting the story there? You know, people going door to door talking about sin, and the story's like, you're a sinner. God's mad as hell. And if you don't say sorry, you're going to hell. And it's just like, that's not how the story goes. It's not the story of the Bible. It's not the story you find in there. It's like, why are you starting the story with sin? Because that's not how the story begins. And every time I hear it, there's just a part of me that cringes. It's a part of me that breaks. And then, of course, then the conversation leads to the place it shouldn't because it shouldn't have started there anyways because you're like, you know, you're a sinner. You've done bad. God's angry. And then they're like, well, uh, they're kind of on the defense. Like, ah. Uh, I'm a good person, and then this, like, fight breaks out. It's like, well, when you were in grade three, you stole a piece of gum, right? Yep, see, going to hell, right? Like, it's just like, it's just like, it's just this manufactured tension of you're just trying to prove to them that they've done wrong, they've broken some arbitrary law, and they're like, they honestly just have this genuine feeling like, why are you trying to hold these laws that were written thousands of years ago on me, and I don't even, I don't even know if I believe in God, and it's just like, oh, well, you're a sinner. It's just like, it's just this story that just doesn't seem to resonate, and people just want to just kind of slam their door or keep walking on and just kind of ignore the entire conversation because it just doesn't make sense. And the reality is it's not the story you find in Scripture. It's not the story that we should be telling because it's not how the story begins. And when you start where the story shouldn't begin, you don't tell the right story. This is why I love last week where VJ started. If you missed it, I, I can't summarize what he did so masterfully in 30 minutes last week. But to, to put it simply... He explained, no, the story doesn't start with sin. It doesn't start with you. It's not about you. It's about God. And he explained this image of God that we have that is so unique in the Christian faith. It's this, this description that humans have labeled the Trinity. 
And it's this beautiful thing you will only find in the Bible where God is three persons, one being. Not a multitude of gods. We don't have, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of gods. We have one God, but that God is so unique. He's three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That we have a God who is actually, and if you can't get your head around that, that's maybe a good thing because he's God and we're not, and it just kind of leads us, as BJ said, to worship when we stand in awe of a God that we can't get our heads around. But three persons, one being, he's a God who's in community before the world was ever created. That's powerful. You know what that means? It means when we were created, it wasn't some God up there in heaven who was lonely and bored and thought, I'm just going to create some humans so I have something to entertain myself with. You know, and every couple of years, I'll shake the earth a little bit, make it a little interesting, send some lightning down, you know, some volcanoes, because I just don't know what to do with myself. No, this God for eternity was perfectly already in relationship, perfectly in community, perfectly loving, and it was out of the overflow of that love that humanity was created. And it says very specifically in scriptures that we were created in the image and likeness of that relational God. Doesn't that explain your life struggle? Doesn't that explain the reason why you just so badly want and crave and long for a relationship? Doesn't that explain why one of the most painful things that you could ever experience is a broken relationship, a broken heart, or loneliness? Because we're made in the image of a relational, communal God. We reflect his image, and when we don't have it, it hurts at the core of our being. That's where the story begins. That's a story that resonates with everybody I talk to, no matter what they believe. That we're relational beings, and we so badly want relationship. And so as we enter part two today, part two is kind of a, a continuation of the story. It's not where the story begins, but it inevitably explains exactly what happened and where the story goes. And that's why this word sin, which for so often we just kind of balk at and we have this kind of like viral, like, like this bad reaction to, is actually such an important and such a helpful and such a valuable word that we cannot get rid of it. It's in incredibly instructive to us once we finally understand what it's all about. So today we're going to ask the question, what is sin and why is it important? Now here's the thing. I know we, we talked probably about this. If you grew up in church, you probably heard about this a lot, and you probably understand, and you can lay it out, and you got some Greek words and all that. But can I, just, can I just be honest with you and just say, this is the kind of topic where you can't just engage your head. You have to, you have to, you have to engage your heart, or it won't make sense. It won't land. And so can I just pause, and can I just pray that we could engage our hearts today? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not a God of information, but you are a God of relationship. Thank you for that beautiful image of the communal, relational God that you are. Lord, we want to know you. We want to have relationship with you. And so today, would you just soften the soil of our hearts? Would you take away the defenses? We got nothing to protect right now. We just want to be real. Would you make that the posture of this room today by your Holy Spirit? Amen. So when we start with a word like sin, you have to understand the definition of it. It's not simply a no-no, it's not an eah, it's not a because I said so. When you look in the scriptures, it is such a rich definition. There are literally dozens of different words and terms in the Hebrew and the Greek that explain this thing that we translate sin. 
And I wish, you know, we could spend hours unpacking each and every single one of those. But today what I've done is kind of chosen one track to try and give you one clean. And it's never clean. It's never simple. And you can never put a full bow on it. But for the sake of, you know, getting it all in today, pick the one that is, is most often seen in the New Testament. And it's the Greek word homardia. And homardia simply means to miss the mark, as you see on the screen. It's this idea of having a target and throwing at it and missing it, not getting exactly what was supposed to be, but it's, a, it's off of what it was supposed to be. It's off the beaten path. It's incorrect. It's broken. It's damaged. It's fractured. It's missed the mark. That's the kind of language that you see in Scripture of sin. Not simply a no-no, not a broken rule, but it's a, a big picture of missing the mark. And you ask the question, it's like, okay, so what's it missing the mark of? And that's where you have to start in the beginning. That's where you have to start at the creation. That's where you start in chapter one of the Bible. If you've ever read the story of Adam and Eve, maybe you've even heard of it in pop culture. It's a story of God creating the world in seven days. And he creates Adam and Eve. And they're in this garden. And it's perfect. And there's food. And there's animals. And they're naked. And it's just, it's awesome. It's great. Sounds awesome, right? And, you know, God, it says he actually walks in the garden with them in the cool of day. It's just like this great place. You have perfect relationship. You have perfect relationship with God. You, you have no tensions there. You have no tension with your spouse. It just seems like everything is going really, really well. In fact, you even don't even have any emotional stress, emotional anxiety. I mean, the part that just fascinates me is it says they were naked and unashamed. I mean, how many of you have ever had a wardrobe crisis, right? You know, like you wake up, in the, some of you this morning, you had a wardrobe crisis, like what do I wear, you know? It's like nothing, you know, others of you, you don't have that, you just kind of, yeah, okay, we're good, right? But some of you, you had the wardrobe crisis, like what am I going to do? Because there's something about clothes that makes us feel secure. There was nobody this morning that woke up and said, I'm not sure what to wear, should I wear this, should I wear that? Maybe I'll just wear nothing. That's never an option, is it? No, it's never, ever an option. The reality is, is because we use clothes as a way to kind of disguise things, to make things look a bit better, make things, you know, hide them a little bit. There's something about our insecurities that clothes hides. In that garden, there was no insecurity. There was no shame. There was no problem. They were totally fine. They were in perfect community with God, with each other, with themselves. There was no seeing a counselor. I have an anxiety. I have depression. I have all these things. Nothing was wrong there in that time. It was nothing like the world that we have in now, and there was even a good relationship between them and their work. And God didn't give them laws. He didn't give them rules. He didn't give them Ten Commandments. He just said, hey, one thing I do not want you to do is I don't want you to eat from that tree, the tree that will give you knowledge of what is good and evil. Trust me. Stay away from it. Do not eat of it. If you know how the story goes, there's a snake that comes along and starts kind of questioning them, and we find out later the snake was the devil in disguise. He starts like, did God really say that? You sure you can't eat of it? I think he's just holding out on you. You should try the fruit. Things will get a lot better. So sure enough, the first sin, the first missing a mark was not murder, was not cheating, was not lying. It was eating fruit. But you say, what was so bad about that? You see, there's nothing wrong with eating fruit. You see what the big issue was? It was a distrust for God. They were saying when they ate that fruit, God, that's nice. We believe in you, but we don't believe you. We don't trust you. In that instant, perfect creation decided to distrust the creator. As someone really smart once said, it's on the screen, broken trust is the death blow to every relationship. Broken trust is the death blow to every relationship. You ever tried to have a marriage when you lose trust? It's impossible. You ever tried to have a good relationship with your kids when you lose trust? Impossible. Some of you, I was talking to someone recently, and they said, you know, I'll never have the relationship I want to have with my parents because I can't trust them. Trust 
when you don't have it, ruins every single relationship. You don't maybe have a good relationship with your boss because you can't trust him or her. On a global scale, you know why there's tension between countries? You know what keeps growing the global arms race? A distrust. I don't believe you say you're going to do what you say you will, and so we're just protecting ourselves. We're just amassing more and more weapons to make sure that we can secure ourselves in case something goes wrong, in case you are lying because we don't trust you. Breaking of trust ruins every single relationship. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they were choosing to not trust God. They broke community with God. And they broke community with creation. When Adam and Eve stopped trusting God, it unhinged them from relationship with their life-giving source. And then in that instant, God just lays out for them. He's like, well, here's now what's going to happen. Now that this relationship has been unhinged, you will now reap the results of it. It was a direct correlation. It's like, this is what happened, and this is what happens because you've now disconnected yourself from a relationship with me. You will now have physical pain. Work will now be hard. It says they were naked and they tried to cover up emotional turmoil, shame, distrust, relational tension. You know, God kind of announces now, you know, man will rule over women. People always say, like, God created the world for men to rule over women. No, God didn't create the world at all like that. Where do you see that at all? He says, now that you've broken relationship with me, this is what happens. It's like you've broken your relationship with the perfect loving creator, and now look what happens. Look all throughout history. You see men ruling over women. It's a thing we see in every single culture. It takes on different shapes and different ways, but you always see it. Abuse, neglect, sexual misconduct, all these things are a result of us taking ourselves out of relationship with the perfect perfectly loving God, relational turmoil with each other and with our creator. All these things because we decided to distrust God, to break community with him, and therefore break community with perfect creation. It was a full destruction of perfect community, all because they missed the mark. He asked the question, okay, so that's what happened thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, but why is that relevant to me today? How does that help me understand any of the things that are going on now and the struggles that I have on a daily basis? Because these are still the struggles that we have on a daily basis. Work is still one of your greatest stresses. It's the thing that you cannot get off your mind. It still rules you. Emotional turmoil is rampant. Physical illness is all over. Relational tension with the people around us is continually on the rise. And relational tension with God if we even believe in him, that's the thing. And yet for some reason, we haven't tapped out of the battle. There's still something in us that wants to go back to the root of creation, to have good, healthy relationship. Nobody that I know says, oh, I just really hope all my relationships go bad. It's not a thing. Everybody you meet, they want to have a good relationship. In fact, even people who don't believe in God, what do they say? You just got to be loving. As long as we could be loving, there's something at the root of us that is craving for Genesis 1, but we're stuck in Genesis 3. Why is that? Today we're going to open up to a passage of Scripture that I think lays out for us something that we may not have understood and would not be clear unless we had the Scriptures, and I'm so thankful for it. If you could turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen, but I'd love for you to kind of follow along, kind of highlight it. This is one of my favorite passages, and it's one of my favorites because it just, just resonates with me. So Romans 7, if you've never used the Bible before, table of contents, Romans, and then chapter 7 is the big number. And then we're going to kind of 
bounce around the chapter a little bit, and I'm just going to highlight a few verses. If you have time when you get home, read the whole chapter. It's rich. It's just it's a very big chapter to unpack, so I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth. And right before we start, let me just tell you who wrote this letter. It's written by a man named Paul, or maybe, you know, you grew up in a culture, they called him St. Paul. Um, you know, high schools have been named after him. Churches have been named after him. Um, parishes have been named after him. He's famous. He wrote ha- like half the New Testament, okay? He was responsible for churches all across the Mediterranean Rim and growing beyond that in the Roman world. So influential guy in the Bible is writing this letter, okay? Now, when you know that, what he wrote is kind of shocking. Let's go to verse uh, 16 to start. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. You ever felt that way? It's like, I don't, like you know, your spouse just looks at you and it's like, why'd you do that? And it's like, if you're honest, you're just like, I don't know. Your parents ask that question, like, I don't know why. I don't know why I hit him. I don't know why I hit her. I don't know why I lied. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I reacted that way to my mom and dad. I don't want to. You know, you kind of you go into the family Thanksgiving. You're like, okay, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do this. And you're in the car. And it's like, I did it again. How did I blow up on him? How did I blow up on her? It's like, there's something that I don't want to do. And yet I keep on doing it. I don't know why. And the guy who was called St. Paul felt the same way. That just draws you in a little bit, doesn't it? This is genuine struggle. Pull up verse 19. For I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Isn't this your life? Some of you are like, no, I do everything that I want to do. Just talk to your spouse. Just talk to your kids. They'll tell you the truth. And then he makes this bold statement, and I love it. It's, it's, it's crazy. He says, for I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me. That kind of goes against everything that most people believe, right? Because most people are like, hey, listen, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. Paul's like, no, 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 no. I'm not a good person. Good doesn't even dwell here. It does not take residence here at all. And then it's like, well, Paul, that's where I kind of lose you because, I mean, I'm a good person overall. Not perfect, but I'm good. Paul's like, no, it doesn't even dwell in me. But the evil I don't want to, or sorry, uh, that is in my sinful nature, my missing the mark kind of nature, my moving away from the way of God and the perfect creation kind of nature. It's like, Paul, what are, you, what are you talking about? Good doesn't dwell in you, and you have this missing the mark kind of nature. And then he kind of unpacks, and he kind of lands. He says, for I had the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. He's like, ultimately, I can have all these desires, but it's kind of what we're talking about in this series. It's like, but it's, it's, it's not ultimately what I believe. It's not ultimately at the essence of my being, because I can never ultimately get it right. There's something in me that craves goodness, but I can't get it done. The reality is, is even if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in, you know, the ways of God and the, you know, the moral code of the Christian faith, the reality is you resonate with this too. One of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, says most humans, in fact, all humans, can't even live up to not even just some faith standard. We can't even live up to our own standard. In fact, he makes this argument. He says, if you could walk around with a tape recorder around your neck, and we just recorded all the, you know, moral truth statements that you make, you know, like people shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't lie, and you shouldn't treat women that way, and all this stuff. He's like, at the end of your life, you kind of replayed that and kind of replayed your life. They wouldn't match up. He just kind of pauses, like, yeah. I mean, I, 
I can't speak for your life, but I can speak for mine. And I'm like, I don't believe lying's a good thing. I've seen relationships ruined by lying. I preach about it. I tell people about it. I, you know, I'm going to raise my kids that way. Listen, we tell the truth. And if I'm honest, when I get pushed into a corner, I lie. And I look back and I'm like, why, why did I do that? I don't believe in lying. I don't think it's good. I don't think it moves relationships forward. And yet, I do. I don't believe it's good to think about other people the way you'd think about your spouse. I don't think it's good to lust. And yet, if I'm honest, there are times I can be lying in bed next to my gorgeous wife thinking of another woman. The reality is, if you're gut level honest, there are things that you believe people shouldn't do, and yet you catch yourself doing them. Then you have excuses. Oh, but you don't know when I was in a rush, and I didn't mean to, and it was an accident. I stuttered, and uh, the reality is, if we're gut level honest, good does not dwell in us. This desire to do good is there. Oh, it's there. But there's something in our nature that continues to have a gravitational pull towards brokenness, and this is what Paul's talking about. And then Paul uses this word, verse 16, it's so powerful. He says, if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Paul, you're saying that sin lives in you? This idea of missing the mark, this nature is actually in you? That's exactly what he's saying. In fact, that's how he opened the section. When you go back up to verse 14 where he lays it all out, he just says it straight up. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Remember, this is St. Paul saying this, sold as a slave to sin. A slave, someone who has no control, who is completely powerless. He's like, that's me. I have no control. I'm completely powerless. There's this nature in me that continues to move away from God. And even though in history they're going to call me St. Paul, if they knew my internal struggle, they would know that I'm just a flawed human being who can't seem to get it right. I am a slave to sin. I'm enslaved to missing the mark. When you read through the scriptures, you discover this is a theme and this is a condition that every single human being that was born after Adam and Eve has been born with. To simplify sin and say it's a thing that we do wrong is to miss the whole thing. No, it's a condition of our souls that is gravitationally pulling away from God. It's built into us. We're born with it. It goes everywhere with us. It's pre-programmed. It's what the scriptures call a sinful nature. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you grew up in, what family you had, how much money you did or didn't have. Those are the things that influence it. It's simply you're born human. You're born with this sinful, sinful natures. So he summarizes it all in verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Isn't that true? For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. You know, Jesus summarized God's laws, love God, love people. Whoever you talk to, whether they believe in God or not, they say, listen, all we got to do is love. Paul's saying, "I, I agree. In my inner being, I delight in that law. But then he continues, 
but I see another law at work in me. Waging war. Doesn't that describe your inner turmoil? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. We have this desire to do good, but we can't live it out. Humans don't just sin. It's not something we do externally. It is something hardwired within us. If you pause for a second, as hard as that is to swallow, as hard as that is to accept, isn't that a diagnosis that kind of lands? Doesn't that kind of resonate with what you experience and what you see all around and all the relationships and when you look in the mirror? Doesn't that explain what's going on and why after thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human history, we continue to move towards relational brokenness? We haven't figured out how to have healthy marriages. We continue to raise up the levels of divorce and brokenness all around. Doesn't that explain it? It's that, no, 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 it's not just something that we choose to do. It's something innate in us that we cannot save ourselves from. That someone has to restore us back to a trusting relationship with God because ever since Adam and Eve, we are now born with this. And you say, Mark, that's really depressing. And I don't like this word at all, this idea of sin, sin nature, slave to sin. Can I tell you, a diagnosis is only depressing if there's no cure. The reason I love the word sin is because it's a diagnosis and it's true. I remember my dad, when, uh, when he turned 65, had a seizure and ended up in the hospital. Within 24 hours, he was doing better. So the nurses came to me and they said, he's all good now, he's ready to go home. And I took one look and I said, that's not my dad and he's not okay. They said, no, no, it's just he's, he's epileptic, he had a seizure, he's fine now. And I was just looking at this man who's 65 who was acting as if he was 90. And I said, no, he's, he's not okay, something is very wrong. And after going back and forth and back and forth and not taking him out of the hospital for sending him for more tests, what we found out is that he had life-threatening cancer. That as scary as that diagnosis was, I was so happy because now he wasn't sitting at home thinking he was recovering from a stroke or a seizure. But he knew that there was a life-killing illness that was inside of him and it needed to be dealt with. As uncomfortable as this idea of every human being being born in sin is, it is an accurate and resonating diagnosis of an issue that we all wrestle with at the core of our being. That we are born with this desire to love. We are made in his image, and that is true, and that's where the story begins. And yet you and I know that the story doesn't end there because we cannot get there. We have this inner turmoil raging within us. That's why Paul says this amazing passage. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a genuine heart cry. I just can't get it right. I so want to. I so badly want to be the husband, the father, the Christian, but there's something in me that seems to stop it every time. Who's going to rescue me? He has the perfect posture because he cannot, cannot get out of it himself. The second part of our Beyond Just Belief series, the thing you need to understand, the thing we believe is that human beings are born in the image of God, but with the sin nature that we cannot, no matter how many good things we do, ever work our way out of it. This idea of, oh, if you just do good things, you're good outweighs your bad, it's a total lie. This idea is, no, we're completely broken and we need someone else to restore the relationship, to put us back into trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father. And until we do, we are completely lost without it.
The good news is, as bad a diagnosis as it is, we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about how good and loving our communal God is that he refused to leave us that way. And we're going to spend three weeks unpacking the solution to that diagnosis. But before we close, let me leave you with some kind of some next steps and, you know, continuing on the journey in this beyond just belief. So for those of you who are here and you're like, ah, okay, I mean, it does kind of, you know, explain my marriage, explain my family, explain the brokenness in the world and all the things that I experience. but I'm, I'm still not sure if I'm ready to be a Jesus follower, and there's still some things that you guys don't do that I kind of want to do, and, you know, so I'm just not quite sold out on it yet. I mean, let me give you kind of three tracks to run on if you're kind of the, the unconvinced category. That's the box you check, okay? First thing is, is that maybe this idea of, you know, I'm not sure I believe in God is actually not that you don't believe in God, but you don't trust him yet, and that's okay. That's okay. The thing I love about Jesus is that when you open the scriptures, he doesn't say, just believe in me. Come on, just have a little bit more faith. He says, oh, you're, you're struggling with belief? Have a look. Those are, those are nail-pierced hands. That Jesus is, a God, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he invites us to actually grow our faith and our trust in him. He doesn't just say, come on, have trust in me, or else you're screwed. So can I just say, welcome to the journey. Start drawing a little bit closer. Maybe it's reading the scriptures. Maybe it's reading the amazing study guide that uh, Tony and his team prepared for you. Just start and say, I'm not sure I believe in God, and I'm definitely not sure if I trust him yet, but I'd like to get to know him a little better. That may be a great next step for you. Another thought is maybe, you know, you're kind of in this category of I hit the unfollow button because I couldn't make sense of this tension of what was going on in the world. You know, the story you kind of told people, it's like, well, why don't you want to come to church, and why don't you believe in God? It's like, listen, listen, listen. I, I just, I think that we're supposed to be loving to each other and there's just such a broken world and if God is supposed to be loving and he's truly loving, I can't explain all the brokenness in the world. God would say, is, oh, actually I can. You see, I am perfectly loving and I created you and that's why you continue to long for it. The reality is, is the brokenness is because of a distrust of me, the perfectly loving God. And until you are restored to perfect trusting relationship with me, brokenness will continue. Community in the world will continue to be broken because you broke in community with me, the one perfect, true, life-giving source. So what you've been feeling, that tension you've been feeling is actually, tot actually totally true, totally genuine. It's just the narrative that you've been using to describe it is not accurate. And so this idea of this Genesis 1, yes, you do desire to be loving. That's in the story of creation. In Genesis 3, and yet we are broken and we cannot solve it ourselves. That explains it. The third thing is, is maybe you're kind of here and you're like, listen, I, I, I actually believe in God. I'm just, I'm not sure about all the rules in the Bible. You know, like you guys don't do this and you don't do that and you don't do that. And it's just kind of like, I, that's kind of what I do on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. So like, it just, it wouldn't work, right? So I'm just going to, you know, believe that there's a God out there, you know, and you know, if I pray sometimes if I need some help, but I just can't get too close because I don't know if I agree with doing that, doing that, and doing that. See, the problem with that is, is you started with sin. You started with this idea of, well, I, I don't want to, you know, follow your ways. And the reality is it's not when the story starts. The story starts with God. And so I'm going to say something that some people might think is crazy, but just hear me out, okay? If you're kind of in that category and you're like, listen, if I start following Jesus, I don't have anything to do on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. I don't know what I'm going to do. Keep doing it, okay? Hey, hang on, hang on. Do whatever you'd like to do, whatever you've been doing this entire time. Please do it, but at the same time, Stay on this journey of getting to know Jesus a little bit more. Here's why. 
Because as followers of Jesus, we believe that when we fall in love with Jesus and we grow in our trust with him, we start to trust him with our lives and start to follow the things that he says, even though it sounds a bit crazy or uncomfortable to us, because we trust him. When we try and flip it around and we tell people, just trust him, just trust him, and do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that, we're saying, we're asking you to trust someone you haven't met yet or known or experienced in your life. We're flipping it around. That's why I tell Christians all the time, stop trying to make non-Christians act Christian and just tell them about Jesus and let it follow. That once they put their trust in Jesus, they'll start trusting him with their lives and the way they spend their Friday and their Saturday and their Sunday. I'm sorry we flipped the story. I'm sorry we, we got it backwards. It's not where the story begins. It begins with a communal, loving God who moves towards us in love. Jesus followers, Christians, what does this mean for us? Let me go back to this question that, that VJ asked. If my heart really believed, what kind of person would I really be? If the husbands in the room truly believe that we have a sin nature, if the wives in the room, if the parents in the room, if the bosses in the room, if the kids in the room truly believe that we are born with this desire for love and yet with this sinful nature, this brokenness that we cannot save ourselves, what would, what would that look like? What would our marriages look like? What would our relationships look like? If we really believe that, we'd be a lot humbler, wouldn't we? We'd have a lot less blame. We do a lot more introspection. We take that verse that Jesus said about looking at the speck of sawdust in our own eye before pointing, or the log in our eye before the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye, a lot more serious because we'd have this posture of this relationship is broken and I probably did something too. But my brokenness is also a part of it. We'd probably blame a lot less. We'd probably shift a lot less. We'd probably yell a lot less. I'm not saying do any of these things. I'm saying when we finally get face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with this truth and we genuinely believe it, that we look in the mirror and we say, I'm no better than Paul, that I'm just as broken as him, I'm just as sinful as him, as much as I can try and make my life look good, as much as I can try and say I believe all these things, the reality is, is there's a sinful nature in me that is just as bad as everyone else. It would change our posture. It would change the way that we engage. It would change the amount of time it takes for us to say sorry. That's what happens when we really, really believe this truth. And if that's not where we're at, and I'm not there, and I don't think you are either, it just means there's more and more of Jesus to get to know. And there's more and more of him to speak into our lives there's a greater craving that we would then have for him and for the next three weeks that are going to come as we understand this diagnosis. Let me pray for us. Jesus, today is a hard day. It is a day of looking in the mirror and discovering we are not everything we thought we were. And yet I love the way that Paul finishes this verse. He says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who saves us from it. And so, Lord, it is with anticipation that we wait this week for the next three. And in the meantime, would you use this week as a mirror, reflecting, softening our hearts, showing us this is our reality, this truly is the diagnosis, and that wouldn't scare us it would make us more and more excited for you. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Please stay standing for the benediction. Uh, if it's your first time in Upper Room, benediction is something we do after every gathering. It's an old word that just is two words actually together, benedicte, which is speak good words. And it's, it's basically to speak blessing over you. And as a, a pastor, I have this opportunity every week to do this with the congregation I speak to. And the benediction for you today is, is simple. It's that when we get confronted with this idea, and you're not just confronted with it today as I talk, you're going to be confronted with it all week as you interact and engage and talk with others. You will constantly see these principles before you. There's two, two responses you can have. One is to try and hide and cover it up as you would do if there was no solution. You know, just save face. And the other is that first song said is to become a generation that seeks his face. That we see the diagnosis for what it is and it just draws us towards Jesus. I just want to bless you to be that kind of community that seeks his face in response to the brokenness. I'm going to have the announcements next. You can... ask questions like what's happening today what should I wear how am I gonna fit everything in but then there are bigger questions like why am I here what's my purpose where am I headed